We are starting Advent. We've been in Proverbs, and this is our first Advent season message. We are oddly, we're going to be in Luke, which is not odd. We're going to be primarily in the early chapters of Luke, which is not odd, considering we're celebrating Advent, the coming of Christ. And the early chapters talk to us about his coming, about his birth, and so on. What is odd is right now, this week, we are starting our Advent series with the triumphal entry toward the end of Luke, right before, a week before our Savior's cross. Um, that is odd because it's just not a normal place to begin to have a Christmas sermon or an Advent sermon that's very typically in the early chapters of one of the Gospels, right? Or in Isaiah, a prophetic chapter about his coming, but not toward the end of his life. Why? Why are we starting here? Well, two reasons at least. One is uh, because all the sojourns are, we've decided, I've decided to follow along with the other sojourn churches for this Advent season, and they're doing this, and, and they are doing this because they're following some Lutheran uh, liturgy, uh, some a book of, you know, Lutheran book of common prayer or some such. And this is what, this is what's been assigned. So that sort of kicks the can down. Uh, the road a bit, and so we we still have to ask, I guess, why would why would the Lutheran Book of Common Prayer, why would the Lutheran liturgy assign this as the first Advent text? And I don't know is the short answer, but I will say this: that the triumphal entry in Luke 19, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem, yes, uh, receiving adoration as the Messiah as the king that we've all been waiting for, um, but doing it in a way, coming at, as a king that none of us wanted and we certainly didn't expect, and that is as, as, a, as a king in weakness, on a, on a colt, on a beast of burden, not on a war horse. Not to, not to judge, but to be judged. Not to defeat the enemies that we thought he was going to defeat by crushing them, but by being crushed and defeating a far greater enemy therein. And so, um, it reminds us, it reminds us, perhaps better than any other text does, of the fact that Jesus came to die. You know, of course the cross reminds us of this, but this is, this is the, uh, the, the match that lights the powder keg. Um, his coming into Jerusalem and throwing aside all of the cloaks that had cloaked his messiahship and owning that publicly, um, it, it caused the gauntlet of his murder by those that hated him, and there were many, to be thrown down. And it reminds us that this king was born to die. He was born to die. And that sort of leads me to, uh, it certainly takes us to Advent, uh, but it also kind of leads me to sort of crystallize what I, one of the things this passage is certainly about in, in our Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, and that is that the kingdom never comes like you think it will. Okay, The kingdom did not come like they thought it would. Certainly. The king, the, uh, he came in a way that, yeah, they received, but he came giving some signals that he was not the kind of king that they that they were expecting. Um, and that 
because of that, he was not bringing the kind of kingdom that they thought he would bring. And it doesn't, the kingdom, the same is true for us. We have to learn this lesson. And it's so hard to learn. It's so hard to learn because our flesh just operates the exact opposite. We respect overt power. And we want pleasure and comfort in our lives. And we think that God ought to give it to us so often, even if we don't want to say that out loud. But for us too, the kingdom never comes like we think it's going to. The kingdom of God does not come in our lives like we think it will. And through the things we think it will come through. It doesn't come through ease. It doesn't come through comfort. It doesn't come usually through getting any of the things that we want. It comes a lot of times through getting the things we don't want. Pain. Suffering. It always comes through weakness, right? The only way the kingdom comes is through death. That's one of the things that Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, reminds us of. So the kingdom never comes like you think it will. It always comes like the cross. The cross looks like an utter king failure, an utter Messiah failure to Jesus' disciples. They were utterly wrong. It was the entire reason. Not the entire. Obviously, the resurrection was on the other side of the cross, thank God, because the cross was successful (laughs) in a complete expiation of our sins, in a complete propitiation of our sins. He completely bore the just wrath of God against every sinner who would come to him and made an open way to his Father so that God could be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ, right? It was utter success. It was utter power in a way that has never been displayed, uh, had never been displayed before that moment like that, and won't, won't since. I mean, it, 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 it won't in the future. It, it hasn't since and won't, won't in the future. It was the decisive power event, the decisive victory in history. But it looked like just abject failure. And that's the way the kingdom comes. That's the way the kingdom comes. And so we have to get that into our bones as Christians. It's the opposite of your best life now. We have a famous preacher here in town who that's his moniker. Your best life now, he's exactly wrong. He's exactly wrong. Um, what Christ calls us to is death. I mean, we when we think of Jesus and we think of an icon of Jesus, what do we think of? We think of the cross, and ought, rightly ought we to do so. We think of the cross. And then not only that, if we somehow say, yeah, he died for us so that we could have the best life, now we could sidestep it somehow. No, Jesus also, he came to be our Savior, but he also came to be our example. He said, follow me. And he, and in case we didn't get that, he said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. In other words, there's no following Jesus. There's no being a Christ follower without dying. That's what he calls us to, and it's not a one-time thing. Our faith in him instantly unites us to his death, but it's a life of dying. That is how his kingdom comes in us and through us, right? So, to sort of press into this a little bit more, I think that we just cannot rightly think about this instance where he rides into Jerusalem and receives the adulation of all the people that have been awaiting his public proclamation of his messiahship. The king is here. He's going to overthrow the Romans. Yay. We cannot think about Palm Sunday rightly without thinking about what he's driving to. 
and what all the Gospels are driving to and what Jesus came for. Right? He said over and over again to his disciples, I came to die. The Son of Man must go to the cross as it has been determined. He will be delivered over by all the power players. But on the third day, he will rise. He said this over and over again. It was so contrary to their way of thinking that they just completely ignored it, didn't didn't have a category for it, couldn't store it, couldn't process it, and so that when it happened, we have proof of that, because when it happened, they scattered, and they never went to the tomb to see if indeed what he had said was true, that he would indeed rise on the third day. They, they just didn't process it. We still don't. So all I'm saying is this. We cannot think of Palm Sunday and his ride into town as the king that has come without also thinking of the week of what of what it set up which is the cross a week later the fact that that very same crowd was white with white frothy mouths yelling crucify him a week later and here's the question why we all know what i just said we all know that the same crowd was denouncing him and and yelling for his murder and execution um a week later but the question is why and the answer to that question is i think what I've just been saying, which is that Jesus was not the kind of king that they that they expected. He did not come to deliver them from their inconveniences and from their discomforts, nor has he from ours. That's not how his kingdom comes. It comes through inconveniences and weaknesses and humiliation and suffering and pain. Uh, his kingdom did not expect, did not come as they expected, and so they rejected him. And so often when God is not doing things on our terms, well, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. Right? No. No. He's a different kind of king. Um, so, when, again, when Jesus proves to be not to be the kind of king that you expect or want, how do you react? I mean, be honest here. How do you react? How do I react? When when you find out through hardship that he brings into your life that he will not be uh, the king on your terms, do you buck against that or do you submit? Because his pain that he brings into our lives, the disappointment, the disappointed expectations is meant to purify us, to drive us deeper into his heart, into reliance upon him. He wounds us for one reason, to heal us. We cannot, just to sort of go back to what I said earlier, we cannot follow a Savior who calls us to carry our crosses and expect to avoid pain. Pain is his instrument. It was the instrument that the Father chose um, for the Son to save us through, and it is our instrument as he, in, uh, as he is in us and we are in him by faith as we follow him. It's the antithesis of your best life now. Jesus in, Ma- in Mark 10 he says this, he says, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. So we get, we get life. We get all the things that the world is running after but cannot grasp. We get in Christ. We get satisfaction. We get contentment. So, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. But he says this, with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. You know, it's not, it's not your best life now, it's your best life later. But, but the life 
of the world, Jesus Christ himself, comes to live in us the moment we look to him and trust in him, right? Um, so the context, though, if we sort of switch gears here a little bit, um, the context of this in Luke 19 is that right before Jesus rides in on a foal, he tells a parable. And why does he tell the parable? He tells the parable because it says that his followers think that, quote, the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he tells them a parable to show them, to set that straight, and to, and to write their understanding, and to show them that, no, I am not coming to bring the kind of kingdom you think, and the kind of kingdom you think that I've come to bring, you think is going to come right now, with you guys reigning at my side, with me being a king like David or Solomon, and throwing off the, the Roman yoke. That's not how it's going to happen. It's going to happen the exact opposite of that. And that's how it happens in our lives too, friends. So he tells a parable to show them that I'm not riding into Jerusalem next to bring the kingdom immediately. And that's what the parable shows them. It shows them that the kingdom of God is not going to come immediately. And it also shows them it's not going to come in power. It's not going to come how you think. It's going to come through weakness. It's going to come through death, through suffering, through pain. Right? So, um, look, I think that's really something that it, it, it really infuses his ride into Jerusalem with, with a lot of meaning, with a lot more meaning, because, and it's something worthy of just reflecting on for a bit. Um, the kingdom of God is not going to come immediately. I think we would do well just to, to let that sink into our bones more as we walk throughout um, our day to day. Because the fact is that the kingdom, Jesus came to bring the kingdom during his first advent, but also to remind us that it's not going to come immediately. It's going to take time and it's not going to come fully until he returns. There's that already not yet aspect of his kingdom. It's already come with his first coming. And when we believe on him, he comes to reside. The king comes to reside inside of us and to make us like him and, to, and to, it calls us to follow him and to call others to follow him. And his kingdom comes in part as we live out the Christian life and as we trust in him and as we walk with him and as we're transformed by degrees. Um, and as culture is transformed by degrees around us, but there's still brokenness in us and sin and brokenness all around us and death. And um, it's just not going to come fully until he returns. And so to live knowing that so that we're not constantly disappointed, but we also have a hope. We also have a hope, right? This is not as good as it gets. Um, and... You know, you see, you see, um, Martin Luther famously said that we, the, the, the reformer said that we, we tend to fall as humans off the horse on one side or the other. And so with this sort of thing, you see, you see imbalances. The devil hates balance. You see imbalances where there are camps in the Christian, in the church that believe that, um, the kingdom, the kingdom is already, it's supposed to have already come in fullness. And charismatics can fall into this camp. And they preach all about, they live on this side of the resurrection and forget about the cross. I'm, 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 I'm hyperbolizing, I'm caricaturing to make a point. Right? And so we live lives of victory and all sickness needs to go away. And they're forgetting about the cross. You all, <laughs> the cross is about brokenness, it's about death, it's about God working through weakness and loss and privation. 
and not in the ways you think. We have to remember that. We have to hold that in our hand as well, that, that not yet to balance out the already. Yes, the kingdom is here, but not fully. It's coming fully. But then also you have camps more conservative, perhaps Bible-based, you know, fundamentalist or reformed or that are or Presbyterian that are focused on um, the kingdom is really, they're focusing more on the not yet part. It's not yet come. But they, they don't, so they focus on the cross to the neglect of the resurrection. And, um, you know, I mean, where's, where, where's healing gone? Where, where's, where, where, where have all, where have all the gifts that Christ died to give us gone? No, there are just a few that are left and things aren't like they used to be in the early church and we're just going to have to wait until, um, you know, he only works through suffering and, um, what about the power of the resurrection? Well, yes, it, oft, it often comes, it always comes, right? Through death and suffering, but that not yet as the already aspect, excuse me, is kind of not, and oftentimes in the preaching, you, it's the cross, the cross, the cross, but what about the resurrected Christ reigning now in power? So there's a balance. You have to hold on to both. And I think that Jesus's, um, parable reminding us that the king, uh, he's, he's come, but meantime, he's told us he's not going to come back for a long time. And in the meantime, he's told us to, he, literally the parable is he gives his servants, not owners, his servants, his stewards, stewards of his gifts. He gives them basically money to invest, talents. It's a variation on the parable of the talents. And um, when, when he returns, he says, how have you done investing what I've given you? So our time, our social relations, our intellects. Um, every bit of our strength and prowess, everything that we have been given is not ours, it's the Lord's, and we are called to invest it creatively, to take risks, to do everything we can, to use all of our strength and our relationship to Him, to build His kingdom, to to use what we have been given uh, to build His kingdom and to speed His return and to bless others and to, to cultivate on this good green earth to cultivate life. Um, and so it isn't just, it's the opposite of a, hey, the Christian life that is a sort of evacuationist, like get your card punched, get saved from hell, and you're good because you'll be in heaven one day with Jesus. Like, no, it means that in this life, until Christ returns, he's come, he's returning. Meanwhile, get to work. Invest. Use what he's given you. Take risks. Cultivate. Um, so I think there's, it's, it's the Genesis 1 call. It's, he's made us to work and to be creative and to use our talents. And um, I think that it's, it's just a wonderful reminder. Um, but the second point of the parable, certainly coupled to what comes next, which is his triumphal entry, is that um, not only is the kingdom not going to come now, but that it doesn't, it's not going to come like you expect. And in fact, it's always going to come. It's always going to come through weakness. I have a friend who's a bit younger than I, who's a, he's a medical doctor. He did his residency at Yale. He's a classics major at UNC Chapel Hill. His father, who's a dear friend of mine as well, reads eight languages. His sister was educated at Cambridge, etc. 
this, this guy's handsome. He's, he's smart. He's still young. Um, he's got a meaningful, lucrative profession. But 15 years ago, just as he was starting his medical profession, he discovered that he had MS. Um, now he's at the point, he's got four boys, where he can only work two days a week. And for a, a few months, a year, he works well enough, but then the MS may go through cycles, and he's, um, it'll just settle in on him. And for about four or five months, everything he does is excruciating. I mean, even... It takes mental, extreme mental effort just to put his legs over the side of the bed in the morning and then to walk over to the side table and to turn the tap on and on and on it goes. Um, and so simply working two days a week is necessary during those phases, but it's super hard. He needs during those phases, those four to five months, more sleep than he normally does. Obviously, it's 10 hours, but he, that he can't sleep because he's in so much pain. And this is his life. And he never complains. He's honest about it. It's showing him his limitations, and he's growing in amazing ways. He's deepening. God's creating these deep, profound places in his soul through this pain. It doesn't look like he thought it would. The kingdom is coming in him and through him, but not like he thought. Not at all like he thought. Because we are the product, and other people are the product. And when people see us suffer well, it points to Jesus. I have another friend that I met with this past week, um, and he's a pastor, and he did his PhD with me at the same time that I did over in Edinburgh, but he was in London doing his PhD under a world-famous scholar, and um, he he's also a good-looking, still somewhat younger guy with everything going for him, but he's, in the past 8 to 18 months, endured so much pain, if I could take an hour to tell you about it, and you would just have your mouth open. Uh, he looked at me. He has a church right now recruiting him as a candidate. It's a church that's one of the most, um, it's the church, one of the churches in America that's most well-equipped to to do good on a national and global scale uh, with a far, far reach. A wonderful, wonderful church. And he's uh, he looked at me as a deeply humble person largely through the pain that he's experienced. And he said, I, I think I think because of the pain that God has brought uh, our way and brought us into, um, that's touched us in the very deepest places. Because of that pain in the past year, I'm able, I think that I'm finally able to take this call and lead in this way as a pastor. You know, it's, it's the kingdom coming through him, to him and through him, uh, into him. And, 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 and out from him, through his weakness, through his pain, this is the conduit of the kingdom. It's the kingdom, the kingdom doesn't come but through the cross. It's the economy of the cross. Dan Allender has co-written a book uh, called Redeeming Heartache. It's his most recent book that I'm just, just reading now. That, that That's the thesis. It's the pain and wounding and brokenness in our stories that, uh, we try to gloss over, but that actually we have to return to and attend to and open up and deal with and hold out to others and up to God so that he can heal us in those places and, and use our wounds and our brokenness to minister his power presently to others, right? Um, I, I have an acorn that I carry around, and when I lose it, I get another one. They're everywhere here in Texas with our live oaks, but... Um, it's uh, 
it's 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 what Jesus. We know how acorns work. Tim Keller says of an acorn, uh, well, 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 Jesus, Jesus says, unless a seed, if uh, if a seed, you know, goes into the ground and refuses to die, it just remains a seed. Nothing happens. It's just a closed little seed. It's holding on to its life. It's holding. It's insisting on its rights. Right. Insisting on its best life, best life now, you know, my life on God's terms, even though he's given his life for me and he now owns me and I don't own myself, right? That's the way most American Christians live. That's what we insist on. I'm guilty. But Jesus said, if a seed goes into the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. Tim Keller said it like this. There's, there's enough, but there's the potential in an acorn, in every acorn. To reforest the planet, because what happens with an acorn that dies, right? But first it has to die. The power is released, the kingdom power, as it were, the forestation power, it's released when the acorn lets go and surrenders and dies to its rights. When it does that, an oak tree grows, and an oak tree literally puts down so many thousands of acorns almost daily, you just can't even keep up. It's it's It litters the ground, and every single one of those acorns potentially become an oak tree and every single one of those oak trees the thousands of oak trees would drop thousands more literally the power in one acorn to reforest the planet but death first the kingdom is never it never comes like we think it's going to it always comes to weakness and so we see we see traces of that um in in this triumphal entry it's a it's a bit of an odd way to put it, triumphal entry, right? Palm Sunday. Um, they were adoring him as the king, but he was giving signs both of his weakness, of the fact that he had come in weakness and that his kingdom was going to come through weakness, um, but also of his great power. But he had to cloak it so that we could kill him, right? If he'd come in obvious overt power, everybody would have hit the, hit the deck, hit their faces, worshipped him known that he was the God-King, the God-Man, and nobody would have opposed him, and they certainly wouldn't have crucified him. If he'd squashed them all like jelly, or even if he'd just pulled back the cloak a bit and they'd seen who he really was. No. He comes not on a war horse, but on, a, on, the, foal, on the foal of a colt, a beast of burden and, and, a, and a little baby animal alongside his mama. Not impressive. So he, he comes as the king offering peace by taking war inside of himself, right? And onto himself in our place as our shield. He takes the blow in our place and protects us. Um, but he also, um, so he comes, he comes, it's very obvious that he's a king coming in peace, not, not to wage war. When he comes again, he will come to wage war and to judge and to, and to destroy all who are opposed to him. So now is the time. Now, the time between his two comings is the time to flee from the wrath to come, to flee to the king of peace, because he won't, all, he won't come again in peace. He will come again on a war horse. And that needs to be part of our message. It needs to be Paul in Colossians 1. I was reading it. I think it's 128. was reading it the other day. He says, warning and teaching everyone. I, I, I preach Christ, warning and teaching everyone. That word warning. There ought to be a warning in all of our gospel proclamation, or most of it. A warning. He's come to rescue us from himself. And now is the time of salvation. 
The minute I die is the day, the day it's too late. I shouldn't assume that I have tomorrow. Um, but, but his power is cloaked, and we see it sort of popping out in a couple different places if we look at it closely, like the, back to the cult, the, 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 the um, foal of a cult. Who rides, who, who is able to ride an unridden, unbroken foal? You can't do it. But its maker can. And no one knew this, no one except for the disciples. The adoring crowds didn't know that he was riding an unbroken animal, but he did. And it looked outwardly peaceable and unimpressive. But if you really think about what was happening, it's not impressive to ride a war horse that's been trained and broken and has a bit and a bridle in its mouth and you're wearing spurs. Anyone can do that. But to ride this outwardly unimpressive animal, but that hasn't ever been ridden and hasn't been broken is amazing. And it says so much about Jesus. He was rough-hewn and humble, but his core was utter power. This, it was the creator writing this beast that he created. And so this beast submitted to him because it knew, oh, this is my master. That's, I mean, that's just, that epitomizes, that epitomizes Jesus. Um, and also there, there are tons of little, of, of little bits in this, in this account that show us this, this king is a king who comes in weakness, but he's a, a king of true power. And what he's going to go do at the cross is an act of true conquest. Uh, just one other example is that at the end of the passage in Luke 19, he says so, some people rebuke him. He's being worshipped. And, and, and the teachers who do not think that he's worthy of this worship think that, he's, that, that the people are blaspheming. They say, hey, tell the, tell the crowds, the adoring crowds, to be quiet. You don't deserve this praise. And, he, and what does he say? He says, if I shut them up, the stones will cry out in praise. What is, what is, what is going on there? Well, two, two things that make the same point. One, that kind of, that kind of language was, for, was, for, uh, was in the Psalms and elsewhere in the Old Testament as its focus to how creation acts when the king, when when god comes when the creator comes to it to his creation when he returns the rivers clap their hands the trees dance this is the kind of behavior that that it, only the creator the one god the uncreated king evokes and evinces um so he's saying that he's saying that's me that's me but he's also saying it in another way um yeah and that and that is he's saying it through through the Old Testament, the way the Old Testament speaks about the coming of the Creator, and he's also saying it because, of course, creation stones are only going to cry out. Inanimate creation, well, there's, there's only one person, there's only one being who can evoke praise from inanimate creation, and that's the Creator, right? He's going to make things to sing as they were meant to sing. The trees, the rivers, the mountains the birds, the wheat in the field, us. And he's going to the cross to do it. He's going to do it in a way that we just, we just, even though it was written about in the Old Testament and prophesied beforehand, we, we just could not see it. We could not see it. And so he surprised us all by going to the cross. And I, I just, as I close, want to again say that the kingdom does not come like we think it's going to come. That is not a lesson just for the cross. It's a lesson for how Jesus works. 
in his people. His kingdom continues to only come in ways that surprise us and not in ways that we expect. It's not your best life now. His power goes out through suffering and through pain. It's his instrument. Let him use it. He is the good surgeon and he wields the knife to cut us, but to cut us, to cut the cancer out that we might be healed and made whole, right? So, so let him wield his instrument. Let him do his worst because it's going to end up in the best possible. It's going to end up in, in him making you more like him, being conformed to his image. God bless you all. I'm looking forward to taking this Advent journey with you.